Another episode of the Feminist Mormon Housewives podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay, bringing you another episode in the Year of Polygamy series where we try to understand and untangle the practice of Mormon plural marriage. And today, this episode is called Polygamy as Art, which we're sort of veering away from the historical aspects for a moment and talking about how we contextualize polygamy now and how Mormon women deal with polygamy. I have two guests on this podcast for this episode. Leslie Olpin Peterson and Melissa Leilani Larson, who are going to talk about why they used polygamy as sort of a medium to express their art. So our first interview today is with Leslie, and then uh, Melissa Leilani will be in the second part. So Leslie, can you say hello? Hi, Lindsay. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and who you are? Yes, I am a five-generation Mormon, uh, raised in the church, married in the temple, I've been a Relief Society president, raised my children in the church, pretty much traditional all the way through, nothing uh, too out of the ordinary. I, I think what's more interesting is my art background versus my uh, religious background. Um, five years ago, my my Tongan son-in-law, who is a an amazing athlete, a college football player and a college rugby player, was playing rugby and someone tackled him by the neck and he had a massive stroke and he almost died. Three years ago, my daughter called me up and said, Mom, if I pay for you to take an art class, will you take Paul? I think it would be really good therapy for him. And I said, of course, I would do anything for Paul. He's, He's like a son to me. But I don't know about this art thing, but we'll do it. We'll do it. So Paul and I ended up taking an art class, and we took art together for a year. And I absolutely fell in love with it. So it's just so exciting at the age of 57 to have a new passion and and just totally be in love with art. So I just wanted you to know I'm, I don't have an art background other than these last three years. Well, yeah, and that's what's exciting about it. And I think inspirational to everyone is that learning is always a journey and you can learn new things and be good at it. I mean, you, you started this three years ago. I'm shocked to hear that because I do have an art background. That is what I had a scholarship for at Utah State. So to know that you just picked this up and you had your first show last, was it last week? Uh, yeah, last week we had our show at Written Vision. Yeah, and it went really well. So that was really fun. So let's talk about the art because uh, it's something that's sort of been involved with this podcast. And so I want you to explain the intersection of the art that you've been showing and sort of um, why you, what inspired you to paint the, the subject that you did. Okay. Well, I've always been fascinated with polygamy. And uh, back in the 1980s, my dad gave me the book Mormon Enigma by Linda Newell. And I just devoured the book. I thought it was so fascinating. And I thought, why don't I hear about this stuff in Sunday School and Relief Society? This is so interesting. And then I find out that Linda was going uh, to different wards promoting her book and talking about it. And the church tried to silence her. I thought, what? What? What is going on with this? 
And then later I hear that other people that are scholarly, that are talking about polygamy are, are trying to be silenced as well. So I kind of just put it on the shelf thinking, uh, I, I just better not go down this road until the essays came out last year. And when the essays came out and the church said, yes, Joseph Smith did have all these wives. He did marry 14-year-old girls. He did marry other men's wives. I thought, well, if the church is coming out with this, then it must be okay for me to go back and revisit this passion of mine and study polygamy. So I started reading up, but of course, what inspired me most was when I found your Year of Polygamy podcast. I feel like that I had really hit a jackpot. And what I loved about it was that you researched it so thoroughly and then presented such a beautiful story, the stories of these women, and honored them. And it was so respectful. It didn't feel anti-anything. It just felt healing and um, and so positive. And I just loved the connection that I felt with my ancestors. Thank you. So, oh, you bet. But... After I listened to the first couple uh, episodes, I thought I need to do something more than just listen. And so that's when I got the idea that I would uh, paint them. And I would go to your website and look at the picture that you have posted on the website. You either had uh, an original sketch or an original photograph. And, well, not on all of them. I guess some of them weren't, weren't available. But I would try to get something similar, their hair, their bonnet, their, um, you know, something, and then give them a pretty face because we all know those pictures back in the day were hor horrible. <laughs> they all look so stoic and stern and unfriendly. And, you know, they were probably beautiful women. So I wanted to honor them with a pretty face. And I knew right away when I got into this project that I wanted to put them all together in a poster and make it artful and joyful and celebratory for these women. And so um, basically, that's what I did. I guess I guess when people see this without the context, I assume people would say what they've said to me, which is, why focus on this? Why focus on polygamy? What's your answer to that? Well, I've always been fascinated with polygamy. And part of the fascination, I think, is that the church has not been willing to be upfront about all this. So it's been secretive. And, uh, you know, we, we hero worship Joseph and the other apostles, but yet their wives are just ghosts in our history. And so it has been troubling to me for a long time. And so I have wanted to pull these women out of the closet and honor them and learn from them. And this is the way I have chosen to do it. Now, we featured your art on the site for a while. And of course, it's in this post so you can see it. And we're going to link to where you can get it as well. But when you're describing it, I'm hearing you use the words like beautiful and honor and um, respect and all of these things that... I think are really great for me to hear because, you know, when I hear people talk about the podcast, sometimes it's like rage and anger and negativity, but you, you found a way to be inspired and sort of create through this. Do you think that 
there was some angst when you listened and that the art came out of the angst? Um, maybe a little bit. Um, that kind of reminds me. A lot of people said during this process, are you going to put Joseph on the poster? And I said, no, this isn't about Joseph. This is about his wives. Um, yes, there was angst, but uh, mostly it was just um, a way for me to honor the women. And it really felt like a really positive experience. I have to tell you a cute story. I, I've been obsessed with this. It was a three-month-long project. And I told my husband midway through it, I said, we've got to go to Zermont. I'm going to lock myself in Zermont for three months and paint these women. Um, and so we did. We went to Zermont and I painted for three days straight. But it really has been a positive experience. And um, yeah, it's been a really positive experience. Do you feel like creating the art has maybe changed or maybe transformed the way that you view polygamy in general? Um, I am not a big fan of polygamy and I'm not a huge fan of Joseph Smith, but I believe these women did what they think God commanded them to do. I, I think their their reason for getting into polygamy was honest and genuine and they, they were coming from the right place. So I have nothing but respect and love for these women. So I don't know if that answers your question. So tell us how your first show show went. It was wonderful. Um, we had a lot of people asking questions Um and Brian, or not Brian, Brad is going to have another show where he has all my original work. And I think he may combine, combine it with your hundredth uh, podcast, if I remember right. Yeah. But um, I would like to share a story about last night. Last night, I was down at Brad's uh, gallery, Written Vision, and I was listening to Brian Hales do his interview on his Joseph Smith and Polygamy book. And, um, there were in the audience, there was a wide range of opinions on Joseph Smith and polygamy and it was all done respectfully, but you could tell people were all over the board on, on their opinions. And at the end, Rad had me stand up and he introduced me and he said, Leslie's the um, artist that has done this work on Joseph Smith's wives. And he said, it doesn't matter what you think of Joseph Smith. I don't, I don't care which side you are or where you're at. We can all agree that these women, uh, need to be honored. And I told him I wanted to jump up and kiss him. I mean, he's totally hit the nail on the head. It, it doesn't matter what you think about polygamy, but these women need to be honored and they need to be pulled out of the closet and celebrated for the sacrifices that they made and all the many accomplishments that they've achieved. So, um, yeah. And that's what I think the, the power of art is, at least in my own life. And again, I apologize. I, I should have said this at the beginning, but I'm losing my voice. So if I sound grumpy or, you know, strange, that's why, but <laughs> the power of art is really to, um, I don't know, conceptualize an idea. I mean, we talk about it in our episode coming up in our next, second part with Melissa, that art isn't really to make, ugly things beautiful necessarily but it's it's a form of 
I mean, because art is so broad, it can be healing, even uh-huh. if it's a troubling subject, right? And it can be something that, like Brad was saying, that your art wasn't something that was asking people to take a stance on, you know, an issue. Right. And I think that's why it's powerful. Because we want people to take a stance, right? We want people to to come out and condemn. And I've had the same thing with this podcast. People saying, why aren't you condemning polygamy? It's it's, um, not my job to tell people what to think. Right. And that's the way I feel about this art. So, um, well, tell us where to find your art. Okay. Well, it is available down in Provo at Brad Kramer's um, shop called Written Vision. And um, he has some of my art there. It's also available on Etsy if you're out of state. And the name of our shop is called The Pink Papaya Shop. And I hope to be selling at Sunstone this summer, too. Awesome. Yeah, we'll link to this online so everyone can come to yourplugamy.com or feministmormonhousewivespodcast.org, and you can see the links on the site. Great. Well, thanks so much, Leslie. Thanks for uh, creating something wonderful and giving it some life. Thank you. Thank you for your work, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. Melissa Larson who is a playwright and one of our own in the feminist Mormon community and just a talented, talented woman. So, Melissa, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here, Lindsay. So can you tell us about yourself and um, sort of brag about what you've done? I try to get women especially to sort of shout out their accomplishments on the podcast. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm a playwright and a screenwriter. I'm based I'm based in Provo at the moment. Um I was born and raised in Hawaii. Uh, I lived there till I was about 13, and then we moved here um, when my dad got a new job. And um, I have been writing stories for as long as I can remember. And um, I always planned to be a writer. I planned to be a novelist. And, uh, and I took a playwriting class for fun in, during undergrad at BYU. And, um, and there was a nice... It changed things for me. And it was, it was a new way to look at storytelling and to think about to think about stories through dialogue as opposed through narrative. So um, it's my life took a change, took a, um, took a change of path and, uh, and I became a playwright and I pursued um, that in graduate school. And I went on to get my MFA um, at the university of Iowa, their uh, Iowa playwrights workshop. And um, for the past, the past um, 15 years or so, 14 years, 14 years, my, my first play was produced 14 years ago. So I've had about a dozen plays produced. Um, most of them have been at the university level. Uh, pilot program, which is a play we're going to talk about today, is my 12th um, produced play. And um, I had my first commission recently. BYU commissioned me to adapt um, Pride and Prejudice for the um, uh, celebration, the 200th anniversary of the publication of that novel, um, which was really exciting. The run uh, did really well, and I just won an award from the Association for Mormon Letters for that script, which is pretty awesome. And uh, and most recently, um, I helped co-write the screenplay for the feature film Freetown, which is in theaters now. It yeah, actually opened the day before pilot program opened, so it's been a pretty busy week. <laughs> you have had a, an amazing month. 
Yeah, I like April a lot. It's great. <laughs> What's funny is I keep wanting, wanting to say like, oh, Melissa, you're going places, but you've already gone places. Like, this is it. This is happening for you. This is exciting. It's really exciting. It's really exciting. And the thing is that now that I've got some momentum building, which is really kind of awesome, because sometimes with, at least with um, writing drama for theater and for film, it's about getting the, your work in front of the right person at the right time. Everything kind of has to be aligned, you know, and that's kind of what worked out with um, Jerry and Plan B and this production. But it's like you once it's there and things are lined up and I guess the the wheels are greased, you kind of have to just keep going. And I'm just working on some more stuff and I just have to keep putting stuff out there so that people don't forget. <laughs> I have to let the, I have to ride the wave, I guess. Well, yeah, I think, I think it's great. And I think that you're an inspiration to so many people and to me especially. So I'm just honored to have you on. And thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. I, I was lucky enough to go to a reading of your play about a year ago. I think it was, it was in April, wasn't it? This time last year? It was. It was, um, I think it was in the fall because we had the cast. So I think it was in September of last year. Yeah. But I was still in the writing process. It was, it was a more complete play at that point. Yeah. And that was really fun for me because I had started my series, the series. And so it was just a relevant topic to both of us. Yeah. It was another one of those examples of the timing being just really great. And to have you there and to get your perspective on it was really awesome. It was unexpected on on my part, but I was really get, glad that you were there. It um, it's uh, it's funny. Um, Jerry is really great about um, being aware of who will be interested in the pieces that they produce at Plan B, and it just the timing was just kind of um, just a little incredible. It worked out really great. I would say inspired. Perhaps. Inspired is is a good word too. Yeah, and uh, so. I recently got to see the play in production. We took a bunch of listeners to the play. I mean, it sold out super, super fast. Awesome. Yeah, and it, and it was an incredible experience. So I want to talk about the play a little bit, and then I want us to sort of talk about polygamy's role in art right now and just kind of the process behind all of this. So give us a summary of what the play is about. Well, the play is, um, it's a hypothetical. It has a subtitle on it. It's called Pilot Program. And then it says that it's a supposition. So I was really interested in writing a character study about, uh, about, um, the members of a family, um, a couple, a happily married couple who bring in um, a second wife. So it's about Jacob and Abigail Houston, who are very successful. Um, liberal professionals living in suburban Salt Lake City. Um, the play is set in the year 2019, not too far in the future, um, but a little bit of space between then and now. And uh, they're very happy in their marriage, um, but they haven't um, they haven't had any children. They've had problems. They've had issues with infertility. And Abby is a really great. She's a writer. She teaches um, creative nonfiction. She's an essayist. And, um, and she publishes some of her essays in a blog, which has gotten a lot of readership and, and, um, and she's making the transition from publishing online to publishing a book. And, uh, and she's a really great influence on her students. She's a good teacher. And, uh, and Heather, who ends up playing a major part in the show, is our third character. Um, she is Abby's best student. She is what Abby would call her, um, I guess the crowning glory of her, of her teaching career that she is, uh, she was a great student and, and has gone on to accomplish great things. Um, she was able to get a job at a, 
at a publishing house through an internship that Abby helped her secure. And they've, they've stayed really good friends after, um, they had this really great relationship in their classroom. And then they stayed really great close friends after that. Um, because Abby had such a influence and impact on Heather's life. And so the play is about Jacob and Abigail getting called, um, by the church to participate in a pilot program, reinstating, um, polygamy to regular church practice. And Abigail, the logic in her head is that she, if she's going to participate in this program and she feels in her gut that she should, even though she doesn't want to, she feels like she should, she decides that if they're going to bring in another wife into their house, into their household, it should be someone that she knows, someone that she already loves, someone that she can relate to, someone that she almost sees. She kind of sees Heather as an echo of herself. Um, and it feels, uh, for the lack of a better word, um, safe, the safest way to, to enter this really precarious situation. And so the play is about these three people navigating this marriage. Talked about timing and, you know, someone had asked you at the Q&A that I was a part of if the essays had anything to do with this. And of course, you and I did the reading way before, you know, the essays had come out. But do you want to talk about what sort of influenced you to write this play first? Sure. Um, polygamy is one of those things that is just really, um, it's a, it's a fascinating thing, but in Western culture, it's just a little odd. You know, there are other cultures in the world where it's been very, it's accepted and has been, um, acceptable for, you know, generations. And, and, you know, we, um, Mormons study the Bible and, and polygamy is in the Old Testament. Um, and actually the story of Heather and, um, coming into Abigail's life is, uh, is the inspiration for that as a, just as a nugget, just that idea that Heather was her student and, and Abigail is, is Heather's mentor comes out of Genesis. It's either chapter 16 or 17, the story of, um, Sarai and Abraham and Sarai not being able to have children. And we quote that, um, that passage in the play where, um, Sarai decides that her husband is supposed to have children. And so she's going to bring another wife into the household to provide that child. Um, and that's kind of like the very, the genesis for this, for the story within the play. The idea for the play was, um, a good friend and I had a late night conversation several years ago. Um, and, uh, and we got deep and philosophical and we thought we were really smart. And, um, we were asking ourselves really deep questions. And one of the questions we asked, um, was what would it take to not be Mormon anymore? Where would you draw the line? And I think it's an interesting question to think about. I mean, um, because that's something that I try to do with the characters all the time is make them toe a line. You know, it's like really important to push characters to the edge because that's when they make interesting choices. And that's what we want to see on stage are interesting choices and dynamic situations. You know, um, it's boring if someone is just on stage and they know what they want and they don't do anything differently. You know, perfect people are boring. Um, we're interested in conflict and questions. And so I thought it only fair that I asked myself the same question that I would put to a character, which is where would I draw the line? And for me, as, um, as a single woman in a marriage centric culture and a culture that emphasizes family and, and marriage and, you know, celestial marriage is the thing that everybody wants and needs to get to the highest level of where, 
um, it's, uh, it's sometimes it's a little hard, you know, marriage is something that I don't have and I hear everybody else talk about. And, um, and there's this weird quirky idea that that's going to be okay in heaven because of polygamy. And I'm not, that doesn't, is not attractive to me as, (laughs) as a romantic person. That's not something that is, that I look forward to, you know, it's like, Am I supposed to be, I suppose I should be grateful for that, but I'm not, you know, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. And that's what I found interesting too, because the play is definitely a commentary on this theoretical question, but it's so much more than that. It does really explore the relationship dynamics um, of a married Mormon couple and the marriage culture in general. So do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Oh, sure. Um, I think... Sometimes when you're writing a show, um, one of the hard things to do is you're trying to find an idea and you're trying to find basically, you know, there, there are adages people talk about there being like seven stories that we tell over and over again, you know, and that there it's, it's really, really hard. People will say any idea that you come up with has already been told by somebody else. All of the good ideas are out in the ether and it's just a matter of finding your spin. What are you going to do to treat it a little differently? And, um, and part of the thing that was really exciting to me about this story was I said, the polygamy is kind of just the entryway. It's like, it's like the door that you open to get to, um, to take another angle, to take another stab at telling, um, the relationship about the relationship between a man and a woman. It's, um, and it's definitely, it, cause it turns everything on its ear, you know, bringing in another spouse. Um, because we've seen stories where, uh, you know, husbands and wives, um, are, they have issues, they have problems, there are things, there are differences in taste, there are differences in opinion, there are differences in politics. Um, one of the spouses will have an affair. And, uh, in this situation, it's like the stakes are completely different because, well, is he having an affair? Because he's legally married to this other woman. So it could feel like he's having an affair, but he's not. And it just kind of changes the dynamic between all of these people and makes it really, really interesting. So I was really interested. I became really interested when I realized that it was like, oh, I can look at marriage in a completely different way than I know I have as a writer and as an audience member. And then a lot of people have looked at in other plays and other dramas because it's like this marriage is not typical at the same time that it is because I think Abby and Jacob are trying to fight to keep what they had, but then naturally it's going to be something else altogether. Yes. And, and that was very evident in the play. And I think it was just so beautifully done and sort of endearing how you talk about these complicated issues within Mormonism and, and endearing, but also very uncomfortable, right? There, I, I told people who were going to the play, be prepared to be made to feel uncomfortable. Yeah, I like, think that's fair. I've been warning people about that too. I said it's it's going to make you squirm a little bit. So let's um, before we start talking more about this, can you read us a passage and tell us, give us some context for the passage you're going to read? Sure, I'll read um, a little bit. This is a uh, an exchange between Heather and Abigail um, in the second scene in the play when we first meet Heather. Um, there's some small talk as she and Abigail um, catch up because they haven't seen each other in person for some time because Heather's been living out of state. And, uh, and 
when Abigail raises the possibility, um, basically she proposes on behalf of herself and Jacob to Heather and invites Heather to join their family. Um, there's this little exchange that I think kind of, it's very short. It just kind of, uh, sums up kind of what's happening in the play in general. So, um, it starts with Heather. And what I'll do is I'll just put a little bit of a pause in between each line. So you'll know that it's a different character speaking. So it starts with Heather and she says, he's your husband. I'm not giving him to you. Then what are you doing? Sharing him. And, um, I think that that little exchange kind of really captures the idea of what the play is, that it's not about, I mean, Abigail is giving things up. Um, and, and Jacob is kind of caught in between these two women. Um, and, uh, I think it's just really interesting. Well, and that's the line that, that caught me because in doing all this research and in talking to many fundamentalist Mormons, whether they be independent or part of a group, this is something that I've come to realize. And I, and I believe Catherine Danes and Paula Kelly Harling talk about this in their, in, uh, their research, which is the idea of intimacy, which the play exploit, you know, explores a lot about. And of course, your play touches a little bit on sexual intimacy, but really the relationship dynamics. So what happens in polygamous marriages is you could have a couple like Abby and Jake that have been together for years and years and years. And then when a new woman is introduced into the family, it doesn't matter. I mean, in your play, these, this family gives it such a great effort, right? They put all their faith behind it, all mm -hmm. their effort. And what it does, whether they want to or not, is it sort of divides Abby and Jake. Divide is not quite the right word, but... But it's getting there. It's almost like, I mean, there's just, their relationship is, it's the same and yet not. There's something about it that's different. I almost wonder if it's like, it's like if you think about it as a color, like if their marriage was like a dark blue before Heather came along and she adds a little bit of white to it and it's still blue, but it's a lighter shade and you can't, there's no going back to what it was before. Yeah. Um, I, that's a great analogy. And, and I had mentioned this to you online and you can, you can tell your response here, but I think it's in Sanjeev Bhattacharya's book where he talks about a family from Centennial Park where the husband's name is strangely enough, Jacob. Yeah. <laughs> and it was a, it was a similar situation. This couple had been married. I, I can't remember now, but like 13 years, great marriage. And then a new wife is added. And in this particular case, the new wife could never have children. So the, the roles were sort of reversed. But interesting. the That's woman really says in, in the story, you know, in the story, the day he got married, I had to give him up. Yeah. And, and in a sense, like, and so your words play with that, with the giving up or sharing and how complicated those terms are and how you can't. And, and I think, I think Abby says this in the play, you can't possibly imagine what this does. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she does. And, and this is what this woman says in Sanjeev's book. And I can't recall her name off the top of my head, but she says something like, Every insecurity, every jealousy that you have ever had about yourself or about others comes up. They yeah. all come up and they come out. And we magnified. see this in the play. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us, yeah. will you read the passage? I, I thought this was so well said, beautifully said. Aside from your incredible writing, it just really captures so much of this issue. Um, this is, this is, we hear Abby 
sort of monologue monologuing at home alone while her husband Jacob is out on his honeymoon. Right. That's exactly. She's just sent them out. She's done a really good job of putting on a face um, until they're out the door. And then she goes into the kitchen and, um, and, uh, and this is what she says. She says that night I realized the kitchen faucet was dripping subtly, slowly. I think I only noticed it because I happened to be staring at it over the course of about 15 seconds. A thin lunette of water would form along the inside edge of the spout steadily thickening rounding until its weight was too much. And it fell with a nearly imperceptible plop against the steel basin. I imagine if the faucet were sentient, if it were struggling to hold each droplet back, straining with all its might, almost managing to haul that burden, that single glimmering bead, back to where it belongs. But the water is a force. It wants to move, it wants to go, and there is no holding it. Suddenly it's gone, dashed and invisible, another ready to take its place. I was mesmerized. I leaned against the granite countertop and watched drop after drop. I reached out to catch a drop with a finger, raising my hand so that it ran down my arm to my elbow, a tiny shiver of cold, a matching shiver went down my spine. Yeah, that's so good. It's so good. And, um, I think, I think what, what you've done with your playing in, in, in this line is talk about this hard issue, but still it's couched in faith, right? We yes. never once hear the women say, Oh, maybe the church isn't true. Maybe my bishop made a mistake. That, okay. that's just not part of the dialogue at all. Do you want to talk about why? Sure. I think it's, um, I think it would have to be. I mean, it's, it's interesting because there have been a couple of questions in, um, outside of, we've had talkbacks after, after some of the performances and then also just commentary from, um, other audience members. Um, it's always great. I'm glad that people are talking about it and I'm glad when they want to talk to me about it. That's, uh, that's flattering and exciting. But the, um, there's been, uh, there have been a couple of questions relating directly to this. And one of those was this idea. I've been asked, why did I choose to make, um, to, to follow a liberal family? Um, Abby considers herself a liberal intellectual. Heather is a liberal intellectual. Why, um, did I choose to put these women in this situation? And, um, and I think it's because of faith. I think that they have, um, I think Abby, has an incredible foundation of faith that she has depended on all of her life. And yes, she is um, an incredibly smart, gifted, educated woman. Um, but that doesn't mean she can't have faith. That doesn't mean she can't have feelings that she can't explain. Um, and that's what I wanted. I wanted this, this idea for this relationship to come out of something inexplicable, to come out of a place where it had to be faith. It had to be, she had to trust that the feeling was real um, because faith and trust are just, I mean, that's how I personally relate to God. And so that's how I felt like it had to, it, I consider myself a liberal intellectual as well. So it's, that's what makes sense. And the fact that it doesn't make sense actually makes sense um, because faith is what drives everything. It all comes back to faith. But this um, is the uncomfortable part, right? The uncomfortable part is not just, but it, it definitely is that, you know, this family is changed forever because of this principle, but that you have to kind of square that these characters don't outright say, no, I'm not going to do this. This is, this is wrong. And I think that a lot of, at least in the audience that I was in, 
reacted to that. Why don't your characters say no? Why don't they walk away? This is clearly hard. Why aren't? Why can't you say this is wrong? Um. Well, the first, my first answer to that is a purely pragmatic one, which is saying no doesn't always make for a good story. Um, if <laughs> if Heather said no and walked away, we wouldn't we wouldn't have the relationships to explore. We wouldn't be in this. If 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 Abby said no to the stake president and to the area authority when the call came, which is fine. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, and there are people who are going to make that choice. And I have said that if it were me, I would make that choice. But I don't claim to be these people, and I don't claim to be that any of this is autobiographical. It's um, it's not. We can't get to the place emotionally where we can explore anything if we say no. Um, we have to be willing in the theater to go to those uncomfortable places, or what's the point? There's no point. I don't think there's a point in saying, in saying no. I think that these characters, we as an audience, take something away because these characters say yes. They have to say yes, otherwise um, it's a pointless exercise. And I think that's a metaphor for polygamy in general, which also makes people, including myself, uncomfortable, which is the idea that, you know, because it's uncomfortable, because it's so hard, because it's sort of this interesting way of living, that is why many people believe it's from God, that God wants this because it it's a refiner's fire in its own right. Right. And and that's why I love this play that they don't say no, because this is the experience. I mean, if we want to understand why our great grandmothers did this, mm-hmm. um, and certainly some great grandmothers did say no, absolutely, but many of them did not. Yep. And many still continue today to not. In fact, many women will leave the LDS church and choose this. And that's hard for people to square with. Uh, yeah, it is. It's hard to square. And it's, and that's, but that's part of what I've chosen to do with my career is look at difficult choices that people make and you try to justify it because that's what you do when you create a character is you give them, um, you give them life experience and you give them interactions and you give them thoughts and processes that support their choices. It's, that's what makes it a good play. And that's what makes us want to talk about it. Um, if it's just people making, um, choices arbitrarily, that's not interesting. And that's not real. We make, all of us make hard decisions all of the time. And we look at people, I know from my experience, looking at people, um, in polygamous relationships before writing this play, I was like, I don't understand that at all. Um, I would never do that. And, and now having written the play, getting inside of these characters heads, it's like, okay, I still don't know whether or not I would do that, but I have a much better, I have a much more um, clear understanding of how it could possibly work. And, um, and I don't know, I don't know how right it is. And I don't know, but it, it's helped me to understand that better. And so I can, it helps me to not judge other people for their choices. Because we do that all the time. We judge people that we don't, we don't know what's going on behind closed doors. You know, I mean, part of the goal with this is like, we're in the living room, we're in the home of these people, we're we're, we're voyeurs, we're flies on the wall, we shouldn't be there. But we're watching them go through this like really personal um, change in their in their lives. And it's, and um, 
it's to help us better understand that this is something people do all the time is make hard decisions that we don't understand. And, and maybe this helps us to understand a little bit more. And D. Michael Quinn has said this at Sunstone before, but, you know, in Mormon history, there are no white hats or no black hats. You know, everyone mm-hmm. has both. There are no villains and there are no heroes. And it's sort of the same thing in this play. We see the flaws of all of them and how they come, you know, inter interplay with one another. And that is why polygamy is so complicated. And in the play, you do a really great job and not having Jacob be like the winner, like score. He got two women. Awesome. You know? Yeah. Yeah, that's not of interest to me. And I'm glad that um, it's uh, Jacob. It was really important to me that they all that they all be relatable and likable um, and that Jacob is. He's just I mean, we Abby calls him the good sort and she talks about him. She actually makes fun of him a little. She teases him she's like you're a good guy. This happened to us because you're a good guy. Um, but it was it was really important to me that he. Um, be troubled by what's happening, but in a different way than either Abby or Heather. Um, that he's, he's a man, he's a creature of habit and he likes his patterns and he's happy with his wife and he's, he's, he does what he's asked to do. Um, he's more, it's more complicated than saying that he's a, than saying he's that, um, saying that he's a yes man. He is much more complicated than that, but he, um, he is simple in a sense of he knows, he knows what he needs to do to um, maintain his life. And this this scenario just kind of comes in and turns that upside down and he doesn't know how to deal with it. And that's um, what's hard for, I think, a lot of men in polygamy. You know, we we talk about the women, which is really important because, in my opinion, it's the women who have to give the most to this and have to mm-hmm. and are probably harmed the most. Actually, without a question, they're harmed the most. And yet... Men, for men, like in Jacob's case, I mean, he loses Abby in the same way she loses him. And what I've noticed about the polygamous relationship is in a monogamous relationship, you can have a partner and sort of this intimacy with this one person. But um, in polygamy, it's it's divided doesn't feel like the right word either. But you have partners, you have multiple partners now but you lose that intimacy. So Jacob has relationships with each of these women, but he does not, he no longer has the closeness to either of them because now it's divided. Right. His, his focus is split because it has to be. And, um, it's, uh, and they're both aware of that. And I, I think it's one of the things that's came to be clear to me, um, later on in the drafting process that I think was, was really interesting was that it feels like, cause Abby has given things up. And she's, even though she tells Heather she's not giving her husband to her, she kind of is. And, um, and Heather coming in unmarried, um, this is the first marriage that she's known. So when, um, when Abby quote unquote gives Jacob to her, um, even if it's just a portion, you know, even if they're sharing, it's more than what Heather had before. So Abby has less. And Heather has more, and um, and Jacob is somewhere in between, and uh, those dynamics are just really interesting to play around with. Yeah, and I think you do it so well. And that's the thing, though. I think we talked about this a little bit, but I want to go into it further and sort of challenge you on this because this is the kind of criticism I get for the podcast. I've heard many people, people that I love, say, "Lindsay, why aren't you just outright condemning it? Why aren't you saying polygamy is wrong?" You know, why are you just acting like 
Uh, it could be a choice for some people and a choice for not. Because Mormon women are so triggered by this because in many ways it is sort of a hypothetical, but mm-hmm. we've all had to entertain it. We've all sort of done the script of this play in our head, whether we're married or single. I think every Mormon woman has to confront this idea. So why not outright condemn it um, in, in the play at all? Well, I think um, a couple of things. The first is... Um, what I said before about it being a character drama, I think it's more interesting if it's about the character than about the agenda. If the agenda is to condemn um, polygamy, um, the audience gets that and then they lose interest because what you're doing is you're just telling them how to feel. You're just telling them, this is the message. This is what I want you to get out of it. And the message trumps the story. Um, so from a purely dramatical standpoint, the playwright in me doesn't want to do that because that's, um, it undercuts anything beautiful or emotional in the play to say the message is more important than the story. Um, that being said, I also think it's important to realize, um, to think about the, uh, I can't condemn polygamy because would I be here without it? I don't know. I can't condemn it. It's part of our history. It's part of who we are. I am not in a position personally to say it's wrong. I can agree with you about things, about it being harmful. And I can, and, and today, especially with, you know, brides who are too young and, and these patriarchs who are just, what is going on in their heads? I cannot tell you. There are so many harmful situations in which polygamy is applied and it's just, it is wrong. But can I say that? I don't know if it's, it's not right for me to condemn it because context is everything. I mean, it's, it's interesting because Jerry, the director of the play, who, um, is uh, the producing director at Plan B has talked about the, the recent decriminalization of, of polygamy in Utah and how connected it is to, um, to same sex marriage and that they're, they're like really, really strange. He said in a talk back the other night that they're really strange bedfellows and they are because, um, gay marriage comes down to, consenting adults who am i to tell two consenting adults that they're in love that they can't be together polygamy is the same way it's i can't condemn the practice i can condemn how people practice it does that make sense yeah absolutely and and i think that we have janet benyon on and we had a lot of audio difficulty so i'm still trying to edit that but she's an anthropologist that lived with the aub and probably one of the foremost scholars on polyamory and polygamy and all these dynamics right now. And she says the same thing. She says, you know, every argument that I, and Janet has a Mormon background. She grew up Mormon. So when people say like, how, how can you say that for some women, it's a feminist choice? How can you say this? Um, and she says, look, like monogamy is not a perfect culture. There, there are all these problems. Are you looking at your own relationships? Are you looking at yourself? And of course, there are aspects that complicate the relationship dynamics, but there are also aspects that alleviate mm-hmm. some of the dynamics. Um, yes. That said, I'm not, I'm not endorsing it. I mean, I do the same thing. I, one of my biggest criticisms in Mormonism in general, especially in the culture, is that we are not taught to think for ourselves. We're always taught to look for others for instruction and validation. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want to tell people how to think about polygamy. That's not, no. that's not my place. And so people need to figure out what they think about polygamy 
by themselves and own that and stand by it. And, uh, I agree with that. I agree with that. I think some of the, the, what's really great about what you've done with, with both the blog and the podcast is said, okay, here is the history. It's an, it's interesting and it's important and people can take that information and digest it for themselves. I mean, it's the same thing as saying, you know, you're supposed to, and this is, I don't know, maybe this is a little bit of a cheesy metaphor, but you're supposed to take the Book of Mormon and you're supposed to read it and find a witness for yourself. Um, it's the same thing. I mean, it's all about how we personally take and um, digest the information that we're given. I can't, it's not my job as an artist, as a playwright, to tell people what to feel or what to think. I can present them a scenario and they can emotionally respond to it. Um, I can't even say that the play is exactly how I feel about anything because the characters, they become, they become real and they make those choices and I follow their lead. So I can't actually even say that the play expresses my opinion about anything except that relationships are complicated. And that's fine. I'm fine with that. We are all, we're complex individuals and, and it's too easy to say this is wrong all of the time. I mean, that's just, you can't do that. We, we have too much going on. I got, woo, I just got incensed. All right. I'm done now. <laughs> no, you're fine. This is, this is good. And this is what I think is really difficult, really difficult about the, the topic and really difficult about Mormon theology. And, and again, I think I know many listeners will be triggered by this and, and need that condemnation and need us to say that. Um, but that's not, it's not my place. That's not, not my, my place. place. It's not your place. It's not. And I really, it's again, I don't want to give people a free pass to harm, harm one another. Like, I think I've been pretty clear on that, but the play really talks about faith and how it intersects with these hard choices. Right. So I, I like, I like that you chose this as subject matter. So I want to sort of talk about art now, how polygamy sure. is seen as art, not as an art form necessarily, but sort of the backdrop or the medium in which a lot of art is being told. And of course we have primetime reality television shows that are dealing with this. There was Big Love, which was a fictional show about this. There is Brady Udall's The Lonely Polygamist and other novels that explore this. And of course there's this play. So why do you think why do you think polygamy is such a good sort of medium to talk about when it comes to art? Well, it's just so I mean, it's just such a fascinating um situation. It's very, very complicated and and all of the characters whose lives are touched by it in a in a fictional setting, um, or in a non-fictional setting, if you're thinking about, you know, reality TV, they are there is, it's all, it's just, it's really charged. And all these people have a lot going on and they have a lot of emotions and, um, and there's just a lot to explore. Like there's a lot of connections. I mean, it's, it can, you can break it down into simple math, which is like, well, no, I shouldn't because I'm math and I don't get along. But I mean, you have a, you have a man and a woman, you have a couple, you have a quote unquote traditional marriage, and then you bring in another wife and that just makes the problem, the one plus one, plus one. It just complicates the issue. And then if you have multiple wives, I mean, things just get more and more compounded. So the thinking about how these people um, react and the kind of situations you can explore as an author, it just, it kind of 
gets it gets limitless. You know, you actually have to stop and put on blinders and be like, okay, what is best for these characters? Because there are so many possibilities story wise. I mean, Big Love was really it was it was interesting because it got a little it got kind of epic. You know, it was like you start off with this man and his three wives. And, uh, and it just seems like it could be this domestic drama and very contained, but really there's the compound with, um, you know, the patriarch of the family. And there's so much that like, it almost gets biblical or Shakespearean in its proportions. It gets really kind of big and huge. I mean, there's so many ways that it could go, um, because it's just so complicated. And also I think that there's something attractive to a storyteller about the fact that it makes people uncomfortable. There's something maybe a little sadistic in the writer's mind that goes, Ooh, I can make people fidget a lot. But that's the thing. I, I feel like polygamy is best explored when it's not sensationalized, probably the same as anything uh, yep. else. And your play does not feel like it's exploiting that, right? It feels like an exploration rather than a sensational story. And right. I'm, and I'm not making an accusation at any of the other art, but nope. I do, I do feel that sort of endearing aspect of it. And do you feel like that's because you're Mormon? I think so. I think, um, and I, and I've become, I've formed relationships with these characters now. I feel really close to them. Um, I feel like I know Abby, like I'm her, I'm her crappy visiting teacher or something, but it's, um, it's, I, one of the goals I had was to keep things really, um, it's a different kind of uncomfortable because we want to keep things really small and intimate and personal. It makes it actually um, feel more real when you take the sensation out of it. When everything that's happening as far as your senses is much more small and contained, then it's like um, it, be- it almost becomes more palpable. It almost becomes more real and more um, plausible that it could happen. Because you're seeing these people deal with it on a nuts and bolts, everyday, um, talk to each other kind of way. Do you feel like starting this project helped you work out some of your own demons with this issue? Because I know the podcast was originally meant for me to do that and to help others to do that. But it sort of morphed into something completely different, something that I had no idea um, that's really, really complicated. But do you think that turning something like this that is dark at times, that is rewarding, um, and it's, you know, it's in your, literally in your blood, do you feel like that maybe it was cathartic in any way? I think it was, and I don't think I expected it to be. I need to go in back and look at exactly what the, what the relationship is, but I do have, I did only very, very recently, in fact, after writing the play, in just the last couple of months, discover that I had polygamy on my paternal grandmother's line. And it's, it's not something, it just kind of took me by surprise. So it actually has been very, it is cathartic, um, because what I was saying before about, you know, about being single in a marriage, in a marriage centric culture, um, and dealing with this issue, because it's always terrifying to think about, you know, there are issues of self-worth when, you know, there's, it's implied that the only way you're going to get married is to get, you know, kind of tacked on as a second thought to someone else's marriage. I mean, who wants that? That's not something to aspire to. But then when I worked through it in the drama, I, I don't know that I'm necessarily okay with it, 
but I was able to see both the pros and the cons as opposed to making a really quick judgmental. Absolutely not. You know, there are things like that that have just kind of I've been able to work through and and understand better. I can appreciate what the people who choose this lifestyle, I can appreciate them and their choices better um, than I did before. And I, that means a lot to me personally. And I think I have a much I have a much keener appreciation for the early saints who went through. It's just I still can't imagine. I mean, the play helps me to focus myself and to have a better understanding of what they went through at the same time that it's still beyond comprehension for me. You know, it's like, how did they do this really? Because it just seems I knew it was hard and writing the play helped me realize how things could work, but it actually makes it seem harder. If that makes sense. No, it does. And and this is why I relate to this project so much. And I hate to keep comparing the two, but no, you're fine. You know, when I started out this project, I felt like I naively and a little bit arrogantly thought if we can just talk about it more, it'll, you know, we'll all feel better. And right. I think the job of art is not to make things beautiful. That is not, I mean, there's so much art that is not, you know, turning a beautiful rose more pretty. That's not what art does. But I think the reason why it's so important to take these complicated things is polygamy has been such a part of the Mormon shame psyche since it originated with Joseph. I mean, it's a deep, deep legacy of shame. And it's, it's shame is a dark creature and will act out in some pretty dark ways. And I think we've seen that with polygamy. And as, as long as polygamy has been around, it's been illegal. It's been wrong. It's been weird. It's been criticized. And we see the fruits of that. I mean, we talk about this in Mormon fundamentalism, why polygamy is associated with abuse so much because it makes it so illegal. So it becomes a control mechanism for bad rulers, bad leaders, or there's no mechanism to help yourself if you're stuck in a bad situation because you won't report it. You won't go to mm -hmm. the authorities. So I think the the beautiful part about this, all of these things talking about it is it's bringing it to the surface. We have yes. to look at this part of ourselves and our doctrine and look at it and sit with it and stare at it in the face. And it's really hard, hard stuff to do. It is. It is really hard, but we can't. There's no, I don't think there's any good in pretending it never happened. I mean, that's not going to do anybody any good. And I'm not saying that we need to go all the way to the other end of the spectrum and embrace it and practice it and be like, oh my goodness. But we need to understand it and we need to appreciate the difficulty, the fact that it was hard. I think that's something that we, in monogamous relationships and outside of polygamy, because polygamy has been pushed so far out of church culture, you know, like we don't do that, we don't do that, we try so hard to separate ourselves from it, that we kind of forget the pain of it. And, and, uh, and that we have part of that pain is just part of our culture. It's part of us. So it's really hard to, it's hard to deny it. And it actually causes more pain to deny it. And I think that's what the series has done is shown that, you know, we try to push it away. We try to say it's not part of us, but really we're still very much so in, today organizing around it. Yeah. You know, we're every, everything, um, it seems like an overcorrection. The LDS church is sort of overcorrected and made policies because of polygamy that, that affect us still today. So it's not something we can escape. And that's why your play is, is so important. And, and let's be clear for anyone listening who hasn't seen it. It's not like your play is this raging endorsement of polygamy at all. No, 
Mm-mm. No, it's not. It's not really an endorsement of anything. It's just, it's an experiment. It's an emotional experiment. Yeah. So the, the bummer for me is that by this time, by the time this airs, the play will have you sold out anyway, right? I think we, we still have a few seats left for the second weekend, but it's, it's getting close. I'm, I'm kind of thrilled. Yeah. The first weekend sold out pretty fast. Well, it's amazing. And I would recommend everyone in Utah or, excuse me, or if you come to Utah, make a trip to the Plan B Theater. Jerry always has amazing playwrights. Like Eric Samuelson is an amazing Mormon playwright. And, uh, he's on the, the docket for 2016, I believe. Yes. They're opening with a new play of his in the fall. Yep. And a woman, um, Jennifer Nee, am I saying that right? Yes, Jennifer Nee. Mm-hmm. Hers is also, you know, dancing around Mormonism, correct? Yes. And actually she did, um, the pilot program, my play is the second play in recent years. Um, I'm not sure whether or not it's the second play they've ever done touching on polygamy. It might be. Um, but it's the second in recent years touching on polygamy. The first that they did was Jennifer Nee, um, wrote a play called Suffrage, which is about the intersection between the end of polygamy in Utah and women getting the vote. And it focuses on two sister wives and, uh, and it was pretty amazing. Um, I saw that play and I was, and it's very, it was very moving and very loaded and very, um, and yet very respectful. And faith was a foundation in it, a foundation for it. And I, I was embarrassed that a Mormon hadn't written that play. I was embarrassed <laughs> that I was so slow to get to the place where I felt brave enough to write something like that because the play is, it was a beautiful thing. It was a beautiful thing to see. It's a beautiful thing to read. And, um, and Jennifer has another play on the upcoming season touching on Mormon topics as well. Yeah. Well, I think you're covered on that angle. I think you're doing pretty good at Mormon storytelling for the time being. Oh, well. Aww. So, Thanks. uh, that's, that's what I want to talk about. We, you and I are going to be brainstorming with Jerry too of ways to get this play out there forever. So if anyone is out there and interested in donating or has some ideas on how to get this play some further traction, I think it's something that every Mormon needs to see. Every Mormon, whether you're LDS Mormon or not, every Mormon needs to see this play. Oh, thank you very much. That's a great, that's a great, um, uh, validation to hear. Um, the, if it's of interest, cause I know, the if the podcast airs after the play closes jerry does something um plan b does something really really great where they make the plays from that season available in an ebook and it's very very inexpensive i think it's like five dollars for the whole season i'll send you the link Lindsay, so you can put it up with the with the podcast um and people can buy the if you buy the ebook you could read the script for pilot program um along with several other really great plays that plan b did did this season well, fantastic. Yeah, we'll bare minimum do that. Yeah. But if anyone has ideas out there, this is something, a gift that we can sort of give to the world. This is really good art and it needs to be out there. And it, we, you know, we try, we flirted with the idea of getting the actors here to do readings, but scheduling is just so hard with people who are constantly working. So. Oh, yeah. It's hard. But yeah, I would love, I think, I mean, the this production has been so great to be a part of but one of the joys of writing for the theater is the possibility of it getting done again elsewhere so i would love to see another production happen well melissa thank you so much for coming on and for writing this and for sort of giving voice to mormon women thank you very much it's uh if you put it that way it's it feels very much an honor 
Um, but yeah, thanks for letting me talk about it. Uh, can people contact you? Sure. I'll give you my, um, I'll give you my website and email. And if you want to um, check out more with Plan B, go to planbtheater.org. That's theater with R-E at the end instead of E-R. And uh, thanks again, Melissa. Sure. Thank you.